0: Welcome to the 65th edition podcast of Women's Liberation Radio News for this Thursday, September 2nd, 2021. This is Jenna DeQuardo, WLRN's resident sound engineer and ever the grateful lesbian. This month's edition focuses on Sovereign Women Speak, an event that took place August 20th through the 23rd in Seattle, Washington. Featuring Joey Bright, Kara Dansky, Dr. Suzanne Vierling, the deprogrammer, and Beth Stelzer, among others. WLRN's Emily Ann Lorenzen attended the event and brings us coverage of what it was like on the ground, what she saw, heard, and participated in. The team at WLRN produces a monthly radio broadcast to break the sound barrier women are blocked by under the status quo rule of men. This blocking of women's discourse we see in all sectors of society, be they conservative, liberal, mainstream, progressive, or radical. The thread that runs through all of American politics, except for separatist feminism, is male dominance and entitlement in all spheres. To start off today's edition, here's Jennifer Billick with a report she prepared for us on the gender industry. Hi all, this is Jennifer
1: Billick from the 11th Hour blog with a special report exclusively for Women's Liberation Radio News. I report on the global gender industry at the intersections of capitalism, technology, the corporatized LGBT, and the medical industrial complex. Many people look at the gender industry as solely or predominantly a political issue, one setting the rights of one group above or against another's. But gender identity ideology is not political as separated from business. Business is no longer separate from politics. We in Western cultures are governed by elites, billionaires and the richest men in finance who drive policy through our political institutions. A facade of democracy shrouds the oligarchy we live in like gender performance shrouds the capitalist profiteering off the colonization of human sex underway now. There are vested interests by elites in deconstructing sexual dimorphism. The violation of the boundary between male and female allows for the opening of markets and identities based on sex. Without gender identity, which promotes body dissociation, the market in sexuality as identity remains stayed at lesbian, gay, bisexual, and straight. Even though the breach between male and female sex is a facade, only made possible through modern technology, drugs, and surgeries, the illusion of sex change and sex identity still allows for more and more specialized consumers. Capitalism in its continued pursuit of bigger markets has ravaged the natural world. Having run out of territory, it has now set its sights on human sex. Gender identity is not just a marketing opportunity for the technomedical complex. It opens opportunities everywhere. This is one reason it has been driven into the global financial arena, supported by corporations everywhere, international banks, and investment houses. Makeup lines like Crayola's new Boing Boing for so-called gender-fluid individuals, JECA, a London-based unisex brand of makeup that launched in 2012, Sephora's fluid non-binary fragrance line, clothing lines like Tomboy X, which market traditional men's boxer shorts shaped for women's bodies, are just a few small examples of the marketing opportunities that occur when the boundary between male and female is blurred and sex is pronounced a spectrum. These product lines help to make the illusion more real that we were not in fact a sexually dimorphic species, that there is some other way to be human while supporting new markets. The cosmetic industry is worth a staggering $532 billion. Until recently, males wearing cosmetics were limited primarily to the music industry. Gender identity changes all that. It builds a bridge for men to accept hair, fashion, cosmetic enhancements that were traditionally the sole territory of women. The 2021 catwalks were ablaze with the so-called feminine menswear trend, which the fashion industry calls male femininity. Men's personal care market is expected to hit $166 billion in 2022. Vogue reported two years ago that high fashion houses like Chanel, Tom Ford, and Marc Jacobs were unveiling makeup lines for men. Gender identity does double duty as a way to open markets in sexual identity and as a grooming apparatus which dissociates us from our sexed reality. The mining of our reproductive sex for colonization is being obscured by these gender performances. The language being forced into the culture reduces us to parts breasts, penises, vaginas, wombs, eggs, and sperm that can be bought by either sex for either sex. The normalization of a sex spectrum removes us from ourselves in the same way the elites have removed us from our land base and our communities and get us to see ourselves as part of the corporate system, not the natural world. The gender industry is not about inclusivity. It is about profiteering, same as it ever was. This has been a special report from the 11th hour blog for WLRN. Women's Liberation Radio News, the original, TERF Radio.
0: Thank you so much, Jennifer, for continuing to inform our listeners of the harms of gender ideology. Next, we'll hear WLRN's World News segment as written and delivered by Aurora Linnea for this Thursday, September 2nd, 2021.
2: On August 1st, internet personality Christian Chandler, known online as Chris Chan, was arrested in Virginia on suspicion of incest after police learned of an audio recording in which Chandler admits to sexually abusing his 80-year-old mother. Since 2015, Chandler has identified as a, quote, lesbian trans woman and refers to himself as Mrs. Christine Weston Chandler. He was the primary caretaker for his mother, who suffers from dementia. In the leaked audio clip, Chandler recounts how he seduced his mother with, quote, caution and care until, as he puts it, she was ready to make the first move. Chandler is currently being held in the Central Virginia Regional Jail. During a court appearance at which he was denied bond, the 30-year-old man stomped his feet interrupted the judge to demand his preferred she, her pronouns be respected and shouted, I'm famous on the internet. Michael Harry, the domestic terrorist convicted for organizing the 2017 bombing of a mosque in Bloomington, Minnesota, has announced that he is transgender and is requesting the court's lenience as a result. Harry, who now calls himself Emily Clare, was the leader of the White Rabbits, a militia group responsible for throwing a pipe bomb into the Dar al-Faruq Islamic Center during morning prayers. Fortunately, no one was injured in the attack, but the bombing caused extensive damage to the building and ruptured the sense of sanctuary worshippers felt there. This month, Harry's lawyer asked the sentencing judge to take her client's transgender identity into account and spare him the life sentence sought by prosecutors. Instead, he should only do the minimum sentence of 30 years for his crime, says the lawyer, because of the heady cocktail of gender dysphoria and right-wing misinformation that she claims fueled Harry's inner conflict and ultimately drove him to white nationalist terrorism. She paints a picture of Harry leading a double life as he planned the bombing, reading Breitbart between daydreams of a trip to Thailand for cheap vaginoplasty. Harry's lawyer is also requesting that he serve his shortened sentence in a women's prison. Speaking of men in women's prisons, the California Institution for Women has mysteriously stopped distributing condoms to women prisoners. The prison received considerable attention last month when it was learned that they'd started distributing condoms following the transfer of males into the facility. Since the passing of SB 132, a California law requiring that men be placed in women's prisons if they self-identify as women, seven males have been housed in the CIW. Minutes obtained from a July 9th meeting of the inmate advisory council at the prison read, quote, Condom dispensers were installed because the administration believed it was the right thing to do, given the current makeup of the population. The issuance of condoms has been halted." End quote. At the same meeting, prison officials also discussed whether women would be disciplined for becoming pregnant. Because clearly, if an incarcerated woman is raped by a man housed with her by prison officials and becomes pregnant, that would be her fault. Perhaps her egg ought to have known that it was just some harmless female sperm swimming up to it, and declined to be fertilized out of respect for their gender? A man wounded 10 people in a knife attack on a commuter train in Tokyo's Setagaya Ward on August 6th. After his arrest, Yusuke Tsushima, 36, explained to police that he was outraged to see happy-looking women on the train. I have been wanting to kill a happy-looking woman for the past six years," he is quoted as saying. He also cited being ridiculed at social events and rejected on dating sites as contributing to what he termed, quote, his misery. Tsushima's apparent target, a female university student in her twenties, was in serious condition after sustaining multiple stab wounds to her chest and back. Similarly displeased with womankind was 22-year-old Jake Davison of Plymouth, England, who on August 12th shot his mother, Maxine Davis, before heading out onto the street to shoot and kill four passers-by, including a three-year-old girl. Two others were injured in the spree, the United Kingdom's worst mass shooting in decades, which ended only when Davison shot himself. Davison's online activity has linked him to the incel, or involuntary celibate, community, a male supremacist internet subculture of men enraged at women in general for depriving them of sex. In videos since removed from YouTube, Davison voices his contempt for women, whom he calls simple-minded and shallow, and vents his anger over being denied sex. Past Facebook posts suggest the man believed he was entitled to a teenage girlfriend for his sexual use. Former schoolmates at Plymouth's Mount Tamar School for Special Needs Students have also spoken to the press about Davison's boyhood fascination with pornography and firearms. As soon as the shooting was made public, Davison's fellow incels took to the internet to celebrate him as the latest hero of their movement. They have many. To date, at least 12 men affiliated with the incel subculture have perpetrated or attempted to perpetrate deadly violent attacks. A novel form of sexual harassment is trending in South Korea, semen terrorism. Over recent years, a growing number of men have been charged with covertly ejaculating into or onto women's belongings. In one incident, a man repeatedly ejaculated into a woman's coffee cup after she rejected his romantic overtures. In another, a man placed a condom full of his semen into a woman's handbag. South Korean lawmaker Beck Hai Ryan submitted an amendment to the National Assembly calling for semen terrorism to be recognized as a sex crime. The ejaculating offenders have most often been fined for property damage in the past, which, as Hai Ryan rightly notes, implies that the real crime is against the soiled coffee cups, not the women. A former high school counselor in Montreal has been sentenced to 18 years in prison for human trafficking sexual exploitation and possession of child pornography. In 2015, Sylvain Vilmer, 60, arranged to have an eight-year-old girl sent to him from Africa on a student visa and proceeded to keep her in sexual servitude for the next three years until he was arrested in 2018. At that time, he was under investigation because police had discovered 8,000 files of child pornography on his computer. While investigating the pornography, they found the girl held captive in his home. It seems that Vilmer had married the girl's mother in Africa and paid her to send the girl to him in Quebec, where he promised he would provide her with an education. Once she was in his custody, however, he forced the girl to sign a contract pledging her absolute obedience to him. Thus began three years of unrelenting abuse and exploitation. The judge has indicated that Vilmer used his vast collection of child pornography to groom his victim into a suitable sex slave. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo resigned this month after the release of a report concluding that he had sexually harassed 11 different women. The report, written by New York State Attorney General Letitia James, details numerous instances of unwanted touching, kissing, groping, and sexual comments by Cuomo, as well as an overall atmosphere of sexual intimidation in his office. Investigating lawyer Anne Clark described the harassment at a press conference on August 3rd. As the accusations against him piled up over the last six months, Cuomo refused to accept culpability. He continued to dismiss the charges even during his resignation announcement, stating that he was stepping down not because he had done anything wrong, but only in order to avoid wasting the government's time on, quote, distractions. By resigning, Cuomo passed the office on to Lieutenant Governor Kathy Hochul, the first female governor in New York's history. It isn't only human females pushed to extremes to escape male harassment, a new study by biologists at the University of Washington shows. According to the study, female Jacobin hummingbirds are evolving to sport the iridescent sapphire plumage typical of males of the species. The females are usually gray-green in color, and as researcher Jay Falk documented, they are ruthlessly bullied and battered by male birds. Female Jacobins whose feathers mimic male pattern coloration are able to pass as male and are therefore free to live in relative peace compared to the more recognizably female Jacobins. We close this month's world news with a review of the evolving emergency in Afghanistan and its consequences for Afghan women. The Taliban has made a swift return to power since the US and allies began withdrawing the last of their military presence from the country in May. This month, city after city fell to the Taliban, culminating with the invasion of the capital city of Kabul on August 15th. The Taliban resurgence is a catastrophe for Afghan women. When the Taliban last ruled the country from 1996 to 2001, women were not allowed to work or attend school, and could only leave their homes if they were fully covered by a burqa and accompanied by a male relative women accused of adultery were stoned to death in public executions. Since the Taliban was overthrown by the U.S. military in 2001, women's position in Afghan society has advanced, but women fear that all the gains they've made will now be lost. In spite of the Taliban spokesman's promise that under the new regime, women's rights would be respected, quote, within the norms of Islamic law, Many of women's fears have already been realized. Over the past month, women have been escorted out of their places of work by Taliban gunmen and instructed to let male relatives take over their jobs. Women-owned restaurants and cafes have been forced to close. According to a reporter in Kabul, four days after the invasion of the city by the Taliban, the streets were virtually empty of women. The requirement that women cover themselves by wearing burkas has been reinstated, and city shops are now selling out of the garments. Female students have also been sent home from school and evacuated from universities. Quote, All I could see around me were the fearful and scared faces of women and ugly faces of men who hate women who do not like women to get educated, work, and have freedom, a university student wrote anonymously for The Guardian, describing the day that she was forced to flee her dormitory. She described Taliban men standing around as the dormitory was evacuated, laughing at the terrified women. I will marry four of you in one day, one man taunted them. Female journalists, women's rights activists, and politicians now fear retaliation by the Taliban. A female journalist told reporters that since the Taliban took Kabul, quote, our lives have changed and we have been confined to our homes and death threatens us at every moment. Salima Mazari, one of Afghanistan's few female district governors, has been captured by Taliban forces. Her whereabouts and status are unknown at the time of this recording. As the governor of the Charkint district in Northern Afghanistan, Mazari had been recruiting and training militants to fight the Taliban since 2019. Prior to her capture, she told the Associated Press, quote, in the provinces controlled by the Taliban, no women exist there anymore, not even in the cities. They are all imprisoned in their homes. Multiple reports of Taliban violence against women have surfaced since the takeover, including one incident in which men set a woman on fire because they were dissatisfied with her, quote, bad cooking. Elsewhere, the Taliban is reportedly going door to door to seize females aged 12 to 45 as brides for unwed fighters. Najal Ayubi, a former judge and feminist campaigner from Afghanistan, has described young women being shipped from the country into neighboring countries in coffins to be used as sex slaves by Taliban affiliates. Divorced women and other women who live alone, without the male guardians the Taliban requires, are particularly vulnerable. They fear they will be trapped in their homes, or worse. We are very worried about the forced marriages by the Taliban," one divorced woman told the guardian. If they come for us like this, we will end our lives. It will be the only option for us," she said. I'm Aurora Linnea. That concludes WLRN's World News segment for Thursday, September 2nd, 2021. Share your news stories, announcements, and tips with us by emailing info at com and letting us know what's going on.
3: Sean Colvin with her song Get Out of This House. Next up, we'll hear excerpts of an interview Emily Ann did with Charlie Jacobs about her struggles with her daughter and what brought her to Sovereign Women Speak.
4: This is Emily Ann Lorenzen with WLRN, and I'm here with Charlie Jacobs at the Sovereign Women Speak
5: event. Hi, Charlie. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, this is my first event with Sovereign Women. It's my first wolf event. And I'm here because I'm a mother of a 15 year old uh, daughter who is now identifying as a boy. And she's been identifying as a boy for the last year. This year has been probably the hardest year in my family's entire life because this is one of those typical stories that maybe maybe the audience doesn't know, but they're very typical now of a, of a girl being happy as being a girl and doing all the typical, stereotypical girl things, and then upon puberty decides that um, she's no longer a girl, and she races her past um, and... It normally happens after um, too much time on the internet, uh, being in a friend group that is gender questioning and um, most importantly and most frightening from um, the public schools. Uh, We're in a progressive state and in this state they teach the students at the age of 11 um, about the uh, gender unicorn one of the things that they tell you in these educational programs is that if you're not Barbie or G.I. Joe that you are somewhere on the gender spectrum so my daughter is um, a really special kid Um, uh, she's not super mainstream and that's what makes her so unique and incredible Uh, But because she didn't fall into the Lululemon kind of uh, bucket um, as she got older, uh, she started to search in the internet to find out what she must be. She started to get groomed by older trans, um, I'm going to call them older girls who think that they're boys. How old was she? Uh, She was 14 and a 17-year-old girl uh, groomed her and groomed her in a way that would make your hair curl. Um, She sent her pornography, uh, lots of pornography. She introduced her to anime in a deep way. And my daughter was exposed to the dark web um, and I I couldn't prevent it. Um, I checked her phone a lot. Uh, She set up fake accounts. 25-year-olds were reaching out to her. Older people were reaching out to her. Uh, She set up Twitter accounts that I was unaware of. I took her phone. Friends would supply her with new phones. Um, It's a game of whack-a-mole. That um, as a parent, it's... I mean, I, every day I wake up and I think, how, how can I keep my, my daughter safe? There's very few people fighting for us. There's very few people who don't think that I'm a homophobe or a transphobe or a an abusive parent because I'm trying to save my daughter from a lifelong of medicalization and what I think will be a long-term mistake. The politicians are against us. The teachers are against us. I sent my daughter to a public high school during COVID. The school never met my daughter, never laid eyes on her because it was COVID, and uh, the school changed her name. Um, That was the second thing I gave her. The first thing I gave her was my body and life. The second thing I gave her was her name. And that school decided to take that from me and from her and to erase the daughter that I raised for 14 years. I asked the school administrator to tell me one fact about my daughter. They couldn't. They couldn't tell me the color of her hair, the color of her eyes, what she likes, any names of her friends. They couldn't tell anything about me because I was assumed to be an abusive parent. So what did they know about me? They knew nothing about me. Yet somehow they are safeguarding my child. How is that happening in America that I have no parental rights for my child? I raised her. I birthed her, and some stranger changed her name. How did you find out about the name change? Did you get? Did they ask permission? How did you? No, out? they did not ask for permission. I found it out because the administrator called me because um, my daughter had been doing something um, on her iPad that uh, they wanted to check in on, and they called her a male name. So. That's how I found out. So it was a kept, it was kept secret. Um, and it was going to continue to be kept a secret. And the school proudly announced well that they hadn't officially changed her name, which I said they couldn't. Um, and they're inclusive and they're safe. and so I pulled her out of that school um, and I sent her to a Catholic school. Well, that Catholic school, is currently refusing to call her by her birth name but that Catholic school now is threatening to throw us out of the school because they don't wanna have an unsafe environment for my daughter by calling her by her birth name her birth certificate name her baptism name her name that I gave her out of love so at this point I feel like all the walls are just closing in on my daughter and some days some days I wonder if I have the strength to continue to fight for her or do I offer her up and just let them take her I don't know that I can continue fighting with no one on my side fighting with me. Today at Sovereign Women, I'm given more strength because I see all these amazing women that are willing to fight for my child and other people's children. 50% of my daughter's Girl Scout troop came out as transgender. There are four little girls in a four-block radius of my home that are also saying that they are boys. Do you think any
4: schools are safe? I mean, because I don't know much about Catholic
5: schools, but they don't have to follow the state curriculum, right? They don't. So one would think that that would be the safe haven, and that's one of the main reasons I picked the school, because I assumed it was the safe haven and in fact the school had told me that they would call her by whatever name I chose they told me I had the choice of whether she could use the boys bathroom or not they told me I would have the choice of whether she could be in the boys PE or not and I chose none of those Um, and now they're telling me that they're going to call her by her male name and there's no law that requires them and I've asked them to provide me the law that requires them to do it they just then when I said that to them they um, threatened to kick us out of the school and they did it in a very uh, you know soft manner they stated that um, that it would put them in an untenable position And that they wouldn't be able to provide the correct education for my daughter. Which is just, I'm sorry, it's it's just bullshit. No, there's no school I can send her to. My only option um, is to move. Um, Move to another state. And I shouldn't have to make that choice. I don't know how it is that parental rights have been destroyed to such an extent that I can't make any decisions for my own child Are are your other children affected by this trans stuff at all? The time that I'm able to spend with my two other children is affected because my daughter takes up 90% of my energy My other two children try to make up for the, the cruelty and the meanness of my daughter towards me, because um, she's so indoctrinated that I'm no longer her mother, according to her. I'm her birth mother. Um, that's what the um, the trans activists have told her to call me, her birth mother, to disengage. So my two other kids try to. Kind of make up for that by being overly loving towards me which is really very sweet um but they see me cry sorry <laughs> they see me fall apart a lot and it's making them really dislike their sister which isn't going to help matters because we know that showing her more and more love may be the answer to helping her get through this. Um, but yeah, it affects the whole family. Um, it affects my marriage, even though my husband's very, very supportive uh, because some days I I can't get out of bed. Um, this psychologist we had first told me how I proud I should be of my son. How proud I should be that he is able to voice his new gender identity. Like, who, what teenager doesn't want to hear an adult is proud of them and how amazing you are and how brave? It's, you know, she became an overnight sensation. But trans... Nothing beats the trans. Yeah, it's uh social capital. Yes. Yeah. And then and then she's not, by the way, a white privileged right. child anymore. Well
4: that's like in Abigail Schreier's book, but you've read it. Of course. Yeah. And she's basically saying, like all these privileged kids, like they're finding their way to be rebellious. When I was a teenager, rebellion to me was being goth. Right. You know? <laughs> and now right.
5: it's which I take a, I take any day. Yeah. <laughs> I mean I take it any day and now it's now it's now it's being changed. Um, in California 12-year-olds uh, in foster care can dictate their own gender health and they can start on testosterone at the age of 12. They don't need parental control or consent. So, you know, now they're picking on the most vulnerable population of all. In California, they just voted to pay $7.5 million to mentally ill people who were sterilized by the state of California 30 years ago. They're doing it again. They're doing it again to the most vulnerable population, the kids in foster care. They will be sterilized by going through the cross-sex hormones. It is on the Planned Parenthood website, four months of estrogen will cause sterilization in men. Five years for girls. So if you're 14, 12, well it's 12, the law is 12 in California. If you're 12 and you are on T until you're 17, at 17, before you can vote, before you can smoke a cigarette, before you can take a drink, before you can rent a car, Before you are an adult, you will be sterilized. And the state of California is cheering that on. So maybe 30 years from now, they'll be writing another check. Maybe it will be for $14 million for sterilizing all these kids. Maybe. Maybe.
4: Yeah. So do you think it's all rooted in money?
5: Yes. Well, both. No, there's two two components to it. Okay. Clearly it's rooted in money with um, the fact that there is a $1.5 billion projection over the next five years uh, in revenue for transgender medicine. And I think that's on global market. Um, So that's a 25% growth market. That's pretty darn intriguing, is it not? Right. Um, The surgeons... If you go to their Facebook, Dr. Gallagher's, who's all over TikTok, uh, you can see her on her yacht drinking Don Perignon. And uh, she is the most prolific breast removal surgeon uh, in the country and on minor children. So yeah, money, money strikers behind this. There's a lot of money to be made. Uh, but the, there's another side to this. So, and it's, I think it's just as dangerous, and that is um, the disintegration of boundaries. What is considered acceptable behavior and not because the transgender craze and ideology is pushing us closer and closer to where pedophilic behavior is acceptable. Um, they're teaching younger and younger children about sex acts not just about sex but sex acts and it is to numb them and to make everything seem normalized because I saw it I saw it all on my daughter's phone
4: Um, so to wrap up um... Do you have anything that you would like to say to maybe parents who are going through a similar situation? Uh,
5: Well, I have advice for parents in general who are not going through the, the situation, and I know it sounds like a really hard thing to do, but don't give your children an iPhone or access to the internet. Take YouTube off your smart TVs, be vigilant, be all over your children's social media, be on top of it. And for parents who are going through this, I mean, I'm I'm still in the middle of it. My advice is get angry. Get angry and get loud because We have to have collective voices to stop this.
3: What I Am by Edie Brickell and the New Bohemians. Next, we have a collage of interviews Emily Ann captured from Sovereign Women Speak. A big thank you to Arla Heil, Dawn Land, and Cassia for speaking with WLRN. Enjoy the collage. Emily and with WLRN, and I am with
4: Arla Hyde at the Sovereign Women Speak event.
6: So, what brought you to the event? So. I'm trying to get political again. I think this is a common theme among women in my age group. I'm 58 years old. A lot of us were politically active as younger women and then kind of dropped out as we became professional and things seemed good. And you're you know, paying your taxes and whatever, and then all of a sudden, 2015, I get word that Michigan Festival went belly up almost exactly at the same time. I see Bruce Jenner on the cover of Vanity Fair, started finding out what was going on. So what kind of activism were you involved in? So in the early 80s, I got involved with early gay activism, which turned out to be all men. And then I got involved with, um, I worked for the Feminist Women's Health Centers, started by Carol Downer and Lorraine Newman a million years ago. So we provided um, reproductive health, services including abortions and we kind of had this underground thing called menstrual extraction which was not that different from an aspiration abortion but you could do it at home we practiced on each other um um, with normal menstrual cycles, doing a similar procedure, um, and this was the old school days where let me show you how to see your cervix using only the speculum, flashlight, and a mirror. Um, and then I got reinvolved in what had become by that point lesbian and gay politics, supporting um, gay men who were sick due to HIV that had blown up into AIDS. Employment rights, housing rights, things started to be an issue in California. Um, Pete Wilson, who was the governor of California in the early 90s, had signed a bill called AB-101 that allowed landlords and employers to discriminate on the basis of attraction. And so even places like Los Angeles, where I lived at the time, where you know most of the gay men, if they weren't sick, were busy pumping iron and sitting in tanning booths suddenly became politically active and it was a big deal. Mm -hmm. Like, we shut down LAX one night completely for like two hours. (laughs) That's a big deal. (laughs) Yeah, and then I went to sleep and (laughs) I'm back.
4: Yeah. So,
6: so that's what got you involved was the ending of mitch fest and bruce jenner on the card? right because the trans people i had known as baby dyke were just gay men and so i knew bruce jenner was a straight man yeah he is a straight man mm-hmm. and then i found out that mitch fest closed because of men of his ilk <coughs> and then i went down a, a internet rabbit hole Galax Mag had that uh, website for a while. She was gender-counter, was Anyway, and then I found, of all things, deep green resistance. Through that I discovered wool. And I just kind of kept reading, reading, reading. And then I found out what was going on in the, in the UK where I think, you know, they were a little bit ahead of us and understanding how bad this was and having a lot of women involved. So... I only have a sort of job now, semi-retired, I have no children, and so I'm ready. Yeah, to well you California, so you want to do activism there? And yeah, it just evolve? came out as gender critical at work in a faculty meeting a couple of weeks ago with the vice president of instruction where I work. And I found when I got there that I had other women in biology faculty who felt the same way, even before the meeting started. Mm-hmm. And that's what we were there for. We don't want to deny biological sex in our biology courses. Mm-hmm. And we'd all heard... That that was happening to instructors at every level, including up to medical school. Physicians, MDs, teaching in medical schools are afraid to use sex oh my God. <laughs> as a biological reality that affects our medical care. Yeah. our VP of Instruction tried to say, oh no, people never get into trouble for this. But what we all did is we all have receipts. We are going to show you examples of where people do get in in trouble and lose their jobs. And she said in front of all our faculty, as the VP of Instruction, that won't happen here. So we all said... Um, We all heard that. Yeah. So we'll see what happens next. So do you want to disclose where you work? Yeah, sure. It's called Clovis Community College. It's in Fresno, California. And we're having a big free speech fight about reality. So what's your goal? To start trouble. (laughs) To start trouble. (laughs) That's our new job title, Trouble. Yeah, yeah. So you're an instructor. I am. I'm a full-time biology instructor. Okay. Yeah. I actually started the program. I was the only biology instructor for a while when we were new, Um, so I was involved in hiring everybody. Uh, You know, activism has changed. Yes. The way we do it, it's a lot more computer-based. We have to worry about violence a lot more. So what was your favorite thing about the event? You know what, just getting out to do a demonstration after so many years and and feel the enthusiasm and to hear that the, some of the incarcerated women actually kind of attempted to at least wave out their windows and to know that once, you know, once we got back up to the buildings where they were actually housed and yelling our but top so yeah. they could hear and knowing that they could hear yes probably that just knowing that some of them at least heard and felt that. Yeah. That feels good. I hope that buoys them up. Yeah. You know, at least a little bit.
4: I'm here with Dawn Land. Hi, Dawn. Hi. You were telling me about the Library Mometers, which is your YouTube channel. What's that about?
7: Well, we started it, or I started it, after uh, fighting against Drag Queen Story Hour. We needed a place to put the videos where we would go in and just film what happened uh, in these Drag Queen Story Hours. The most notable... Drag Queen story Hour with the Teen Pride event, where we went in and they had um, they had drag queens performing for these teenagers, and two, at least two of them were men who were trans trans identified males, so that they dressed in drag, but that they identified as transgender women. Really, it was women. I say in quotes because they're not allowed to use that word. But at that event. Um, can, but one of the drag queens was stripping is like, for the kids the they gave out their handles no, for Instagram, Instagram for these kids and the pictures were horrific on, yes, um, and like, delayed, uh, uh, my uh, friend so Lynn and I just were just like a called a out day. by police because we had the audacity no, puppy, to sit there not not too quietly too and think and the boss that were not so they called us out the library and kicked us out had the police come and kick us out um Mm-hmm. Other things that are on the YouTube channel, I've got, uh, after that, there was a breakfast yeah. story hour uh, by um, she really a man did. named Vidaeus. He was a former was uh, a Disney employee. He used to work at Disneyland, and he is in theater. He was supposed to read um, two to four stories. He ended up only reading one. Um, his other story, that story that he read... Really, his ringing endorsement uh, for drag queens and drag, and encouraging kids to, to uh, really understand what quote unquote drag really is, because of all of us haters that were out there. And um, I filmed that and put that. On. Oh, and he finished his he finished his time with a Disney song that he sang beautifully from the from the movie Moana. But the video that I have on there. There. It's called The Day is Mansplains Drag, because that's really what it is. He was talking down to us, us poor stupid dumb moms, us women who uh, don't know any better. We really should just get in our corner and shut the hell up. I don't think so. And I didn't even add any, the only things I added to it, I didn't add any words. I just added pictures from the drag artists that he endorsed. Added that in to what he said. So it's like a seven-minute video. And you can see the drag artist that he was telling these children that they should look up to. Uh, The horrific and uh, graphic pictures, you know, news and and things like that that were on their Instagram accounts. That's all I added to it. if he he was mortified, his mom was ready to call the media and the bossy out to get uh, whomever uh, wrote that or whoever made that video. And if he's really ashamed of what he said, why did he say it? Because I didn't I didn't change his words. That's what he said. If he didn't, if he if he, why would he act that way? If he's ashamed of it. Yeah. So either you're ashamed of it and you shouldn't do it, or you're not. So.
4: Yeah, on some level, he knows it's wrong. He does. Yeah.
7: absolutely. Is there any other activism you're you're involved in? Um, I've been um I've been active a long time. I mean, starting way back with like Tea Party stuff, but also um, with legislation down um, down in Olympia, uh, testifying many times uh, against some of the bad things, including the um, the sex and the the said that they are mandating in our schools here in Washington State. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but my, my uh, senator, my state senator knows me. She knows my name. She knows me on site because that's how hard I'm fighting against
4: all this. That's awesome. And that's what this is all about is that the, the average woman speaking up, you know, for what's right.
7: Absolutely. Yeah. I'm sorry to take up so much of your time. No.
4: This is perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I'm here at Sovereign Women Speak with Cassia. Hi. Hey. Thanks for uh, doing this interview. Yeah, thank you. Um, So where are you from?
8: Um, I'm from the Midwest. Okay. And um, why were you drawn to the Sovereign Women Speak event? Okay, so um, just over a year ago, I read J.K. Rowling's tweets. I'm I'm one of the J.K. Rowling gender-critical women. Um, And just over a year ago now, I I joined my first feminist community online, um, and it feels like an anniversary for me to be here, a one-year anniversary. Yeah actually getting to meet all these people in person that I've been talking to for a year and getting to meet new people and it's it's been amazing that's
4: awesome um, so what
8: did you hope to get out of this event? Um, I just wanted to meet uh, women who I could share my stickers with and I wanted to hear Karadansky in person yes <laughs> Yeah. Um, and I, I wanted to build what I, I believe are going to be lifelong friendships yeah So what has been your
4: favorite part so far, because this is a Sunday now, so it's almost over.
8: Yeah, I think um, getting to go to the workshops would have been my favorite part um, because I got to talk to both the speakers afterward and I got to speak with women at that time. I met so many people. I got to talk to the deprogrammer after Mm -hmm. uh, her speaking uh, section. That was amazing.
4: So you already kind of told me how you became interested, so it was just, was it like you just saw J.K. Rowling's tweet, and you're just like, and then you saw the backlash? And...
8: I Yeah, I, I mean, I've been skeptical for years, but I just thought maybe I had like bad thoughts because I was a uh-huh. liberal I'm leftist, and um, I mean, I can tell you one of my first big skeptical moments was, um, I used to be a huge John Oliver fan, I'd, l- I'd listen to Last Week Tonight, I'd listen to Colbert, I'd listen to all of those late night talk shows, mm-hmm. they are very liberal, And in, I believe, 2014, John Oliver did um, an episode on trans rights, and I just remember him saying, oh, you know, there would be no assaults if men were allowed into, or well, he didn't call them men, but there would be no assaults if uh, trans-identified males were allowed to access uh, single-sex spaces for women and girls. And that only the perverted mind of, I believe it was my uh, cuckabee, would that happen. And I just remember thinking, that does not add up. But Mm -hmm. I thought that was just me. So it's been building for a long time. But then it was reading J.K. Rowling's tweets and thinking, okay, I've been a lifelong Harry Potter fan. This is going to take a lot to convince me JK (laughs) J.K. Rowling is a terrible person. I read the replies to her tweets. I spent a long time Googling, what is radical feminism? What is gender critical feminism? What does this mean? I found Megan Murphy, I binged her podcast, Oh yeah! and then I went to Can I Get a Witness.
4: Oh, you were at the uh, online conference?
8: Yes, I was at the online conference. Yeah, me too. That was really fun. <laughs>
4: yeah, it really was. Is this your first
8: experience with activism? Um, with feminism activism or activism in general? In general? Um, I've I've been to some political protests. Um, I've I've been to BLM marches. Um, Mm -hmm. I've been to uh, a recall action in uh, local politics. But uh, this is something else. I feel way more connected to this than anything I've ever done before.
4: So this is your first feminist thing?
8: My first feminist thing was in D.C.
4: Oh, right, right, right. Yeah.
8: That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I met Skylar there. She's amazing. So what made you want to get
4: involved, like not just being a keyboard warrior and sitting on the other side of the screen and, you know, just reading tweets, like what made you want to actually be in person and get involved in that way?
8: I guess for me, when I, when it hit me what exactly was going on, what was at stake here, Being passively involved or somewhat involved wasn't an option for me. I I just had to be here. I had to be here in person. I had to meet people. I had to do everything I can because when I'm not here, I'm stickering. I'm talking to people in my life who I think I can make a difference with. I just, I can't understand being a woman and finding out the facts that I've learned and not reacting to that with full force.
0: Now we have WLRN exclusive content from workshops at Sovereign Women Speak with Kara Dansky, the deprogrammer, Joey Bright, Dr. Suzanne Vierling, and Ava Park.
9: It was amazing and we got so much positive feedback and it was just such a good vibe. So, and I'm saying here, talk to people in the streets. As we all know, everyone agrees with us, they just don't know they're allowed to say it. So I'm going to tell a little story, I didn't ask Gina's permission to tell this story. Um, but I don't think she'll I don't think she'll be mad. At so um, she she got me invited to a meeting of Denver Republican women. Virtual Zoom They were in person, but I was on Zoom. And we had this little conversation and I I'm not a Republican. I'm talking to they know who I am, right? They know I'm a radical feminist and they invited me knowing who I am which is lovely, and I was happy to accept it. And so I'm talking to a bunch of Republican women, and we're having a lovely time, and one woman says to me, what are we gonna do about the problem of transgender athletes in in women's sports? And I said, okay, I've got some policy advocacy ideas, but before we go into that, let's just hit pause, and I just wanna ask you a question. What do you mean by the phrase transgender athletes?
7: Just, what do you mean?
9: And And I said, I don't want you to tell me what you understand you have to say, I want you to tell me exactly what you have in your mind when you say that phrase, transgender athletes. And she said, I thought we had to say that. And I said, okay, fair enough. I understand why you think that. Um, And then I said, do you mean men and boys? And the whole room was silent. And she said, yeah. And I said, okay, if you mean, in voice, why not just say men in voice? And she was like, I didn't think we were allowed to say that.
3: Republicans.
9: Republicans. <laughs> and I said, Well, you are. You know, why not say what you mean? And I don't know what it felt like in the room, but from across the country, it felt like the women in the room collectively breathed a sigh of relief. So she was in the room, she's saying, Yeah. We can say it. It's okay. We can say men and boys if we need men and boys. And my point here is just to say, everyone knows it. Everyone knows it. And people don't think they have permission to say it. And we all know why. We all know why people don't think they have permission to say it. So let's give them permission to say it. it it's
10: just, it was, it was mind breaking. And at that point, um, you know, I became an enemy. It, of everybody because I was saying the wrong things and asking the wrong questions. But I I, I wasn't gonna stop and I haven't stopped. And probably if a lot of these people knew that I was standing here talking to you all about this today, I mean I already know what they would think. Um but we don't care anymore. We don't care. Anymore. And they can't hide it, and they can try to monitor social media and the internet and erase and erase and memory hole everything, but women like me that remember from our personal experiences what really happened and obviously what I told you today is just a drop in the bucket of what I really know all that went on and when I tell you that the LGBT movement is pushed by pedophiles and predators and male rapists and, and women that will allow them to get away with that shit I'm dead ass 100% telling you the truth because I learned it and saw it with my own eyes and I was doing it and I will never ever again I'll be speaking up, always, forever, now, with you all. This thing about
11: confidence, women losing it over and over again and giving it up to men. What do I even mean by that? Oh, she's an angry dyke. She means there are all these women that sleep with men and that's it, that's not it. My worst enemies at this point... The ones that hate me the most, that are trying to get me fired for my job, that have hounded me, that have spit at me on the sidewalk. I live in a very liberal area, which is kind of the worst for this. Around Berkeley, Oakland, California. My community was lost in the 90s to this... craze. This madness. I watched one young butch woman my age and just a little bit younger, become influenced by people like Buck Angel, thinking that the big muscles, let's do this thing. She used to come to town, she lived in LA, and she'd compose every once in a while, like the LGBT center, blah, blah, that they had in San Francisco. And I was one of those that was targeted for testosterone, free testosterone on the streets in front of the lesbian nightclubs. There were these pop-up clubs that started happening after the lesbian bars were shutting, there were these pop-up clubs that would happen maybe once a month if we were lucky. And why am I saying all this? Again, finding your voice, I feel like it's something what Ava was doing last night. It is here. It is here. And once you find that and you feel it through your body and you know what the truth is, we tend not to let go of that no matter if we're having sex with men or not, I have straight women friends that are way more woman-centered than many of the lesbians that I've ever met or ever known. I want to
12: make a statement. The more we explain the obvious, the more... men do not explain themselves. When we engage in that which is undebatable, we lose track of the big picture of what is happening around us. Let me reiterate what's happening around us. The legal erasure of our existence as a sex-based class. The colonization of our bodies, spaces, identity, and agency the monetization of the use of our bodies. That's where we're at. That is the big picture. And I wanna say, stay focused on that big picture. Do not allow yourself to be caught in the weeds. And as difficult as this might be to say, mind your emotions and stay focused on what is being done structurally, what has been done and is being done legally, and to stand firm and let people know, we did not give you permission. So I don't care if it's working out for that surrogate over there. I don't care if you heard from a prisoner that she doesn't mind. That's not the point, and we're not gonna get into the weeds of that. And I don't want to hear about how somebody's surgery is so good that they look better than a, than, a, than, a, than a woman. I don't care. I did not give you permission. We did not vote on this. This was just handed down and put on us, and we got patted on the head along the way. If we went along with it, and we were destroyed in, in, in a variety of different ways, if we didn't go along with it we are 51% of the population. Okay? So we have to always reroute ourselves back to that core. So when I see women online trying to explain, oh, and this and that, no. Uh-uh. I've, I've sung it
4: to
9: so many different uh, uh, tents. Oh,
4: Go to our YouTube channel at Women's Liberation Radio News for uncut video of the August 22nd speaking event that was open to the public, featuring Beth Stelzer, Karadansky, Dr. Suzanne Vierling, and Kay Yang.
7: This is Joe Brew, and you are listening to WLRN.
4: We have a clip from the protest that took place on August 21st at the Purdy Women's Correctional Facility. The organizer, April Morrow, had an airplane fly over the facility with a banner that said Sovereign Women Demand Single Sex Prisons during the protest. It took place during the prisoner's outdoor gardening time, but the officers did not let the women out of the facility because we were outside. We could hear women inside the buildings yelling back at us in solidarity. All women deserve dignity and respect, especially those who are the most vulnerable to patriarchal violence. listening to WLRN's 65th edition podcast covering Sovereign Women Speak. Thank you so much, Charlie Jacobs, Arla Heil, Dawn Land, and Cassia for speaking with us. A big shout out to April Morrow, who organized the event, and all the women who work behind the scenes to create a wonderful, woman-centered space. I was uplifted by the sense of community and the realization that I am not alone. I am sure other attendees felt the same. Until next time, this is Emily Ann signing off on another WLRN podcast.
5: If you like what you are hearing and would like to donate to the cause of Feminist Community Radio, please visit our WordPress site and click on the Donate button. Check out our merch tab to get a nice gift in exchange for your donation. And if you are interested in joining our team, we are always looking for new volunteers to conduct interviews, write blog posts, post to our Facebook and other social media pages, and do other tasks to keep us moving forward as a collective of media activist women. Thanks for listening. This is April
3: Noe, signing off for now. Thanks for listening to another one of our monthly podcasts in a series that has lasted for over five years. To hear our past episodes, each one focused on a topic of interest to women worldwide, please visit womensliberationradionews.com and click on the Podcasts tab. There is lots to choose from there as we've been doing this for a while now and have covered a diverse range of topics. This is Thistle signing off for now. Hey there, listeners. This is Julia Beck. Thanks for tuning in to this month's edition. Tune in
9: next month to hear exclusive interviews with lesbians and feminists in Germany.
2: Also bis später. Tschüss! this is aurora signing off on another edition of wlrn's monthly handcrafted podcast you can find us on twitter facebook instagram spinster over it and soundcloud in addition to our wordpress site thank you for listening
0: and this is jenna de our monthly podcasts are always crafted with tender loving care and in solidarity with women worldwide thanks for your support we would love to hear from you so please comment like and share widely
3: For the patriarchal kiss How will
10: we find what needs to be shown And then after that Where is home Home. Tell me, where is my home
0: Cause gender